that you prepare our hearts to receive. Give us eyes to see you and ears to hear you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's just welcome up Pastor Mike as he comes up. Before we, uh, we look at our scripture for this morning, I'd like, to, I'd like for us to take again some time to, to pray for our nation and, and to pray for the world. And I want to frame our prayer in a certain way. Um, I really believe that one of the most important ways to learn to pray is to pray scripture. Um, when we pray scripture, we have this promise. Whatever you ask according to my will, I will do it, God says. So as we're praying his word, we are praying his will. In Daniel chapter 9, also in, in Nehemiah chapter 1, both, both places are when uh, uh, a righteous man decides that he has to begin to pray for his nation, for his people, in both cases. In the case of Daniel, it's, it's particularly, I think, pertinent for today. In the case of Daniel, Daniel was living out uh, a season of discipline from the Lord that he did not create. He was born in exile in Babylon. He had not been a part of causing, from the sins and the rebellion of the people, he had not been a part of causing the exile to Babylon, but he was suffering the consequences of the sins of the generation before him. But when he prays, he repents. He says, Lord, we have done what is really grievous in your sight. We have sinned against you. Ours is the shame, he says. But Daniel didn't do those things. So he's doing what, we, what is called identificational repentance. He is repenting for those who can't repent for themselves. And he's doing it so that in his generation, they will no longer live under the curses of the past generation, but they'll live on the blessings that God has in his grace and his mercy for them. And then he will pass on a legacy of blessing to subsequent generations. This is what we can do, not only for our nation, but we can do that for our world. I mean, there's not a safe place, it seems, on earth right now. Uh, as you looked at what happened in the coup in Turkey, the, uh, uh, the bombing in Nice. Um, and I, you know, again, there's such unease in our own nation and such a sense of no safety. And so we are the people of God. We get to stand between the altar and heaven and cry out to the Lord and he will hear us. But we, we're not crying out for righteousness. We're crying out because of the unrighteousness of our past. And so I invite you to stand with me as I stand with Daniel. And I'm going to ask you to stand up, if you will. And that we would, we would stand with the prophet of old as he cried out to the Lord. And, and the desire is this. I'm not... Um, I don't know what your sins are. I know what my sins are. And I know what my family's sins are. And I also think that most of us know that our nation has sin. That we are not a righteous nation. And yet we need the grace of God as a nation. 
And we need him to do in our generation and in generations to come what has not been true in generations past. And so we can stand with Daniel. And, and can I tell you this, friends? Nobody else was praying it except Daniel. No one else is even recorded of praying. And they tried to do everything they did, could to keep him from praying. They threw him into a lion's den. They, I mean, there were all manner of things. To, because Satan hates prayer a lot. He hates it a lot. Especially when God's people confess and repent. So whatever, make that chair where you are your altar before the Lord. And when you pray, I'll pray out loud, but would you pray along with me? Father, we come in the same spirit that Daniel came. And we say something's amiss. Something's not right. This is not uh, a safe place. This is not the land of opportunity for all. And uh, especially the tensions, the unease, uh, the fear that we see throughout the land is not from you. Your word even says you've not given us a spirit of fear. So that's not your spirit bringing fear. So we come like Daniel did, Lord. We confess the sins of our past. We confess things that people treated as if they were normal, but now we see they were sin. That it was sin to treat another person as your property. That it was sin to say that, that one group of people is superior to another group of people. Lord, that to... That uh, anything that does not manifest itself as love is sin. And we have seen an unloving nation. And Lord, we stand against even the unlovingness of the church. Uh, where we have been divided and we have justified division. Um, even theologized division. Lord, we curse that curse. In the name and the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, we declare that in Jesus you have broken down every wall. That, Lord, the only status that we have is to be sons and daughters in Jesus Christ. We proclaim the truth that because we have received Him, He has made us children of God. We're not by right children of God out of our biology, but out of Jesus' finished work, we are children of God. And Lord, we thank you that in the family which you have placed us, there is no greater son or lesser daughter. There is no lesser son or greater daughter, but all are one in Christ. We declare that truth, that he, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free or nor male or female. Lord, we denounce the oppression of gender. We renounce the, the oppression of race. And we declare, Lord, would you make a new day in the church? We come to make a new day in the church. That we would be a true community. That we would be truly those who, who are brothers and sisters. Uh, as we talked about from your word last week. We didn't get to choose our family. But we get to choose if our family is our friends. And Lord, we want our family to be our friends here. We want no greater love than this that... A man would lay down his life for his friends to be true of us. That we could say to the world, look and see, there's something real about the gospel because of the way we treat one another. Uh, or the mark of the church is not perfect theology. The mark of the church is how well we love each other. 
We renounce our past. We confess it as sin. That we have selectively loved instead of extravagantly loved. Um, this day, I, I, I even see that picture of the woman who took the, the precious perfume that was worth a, way, a year's wages and she extravagantly worshipped you. She gave her all. She gave her best. Lord, and you did not condemn her, but rather you honored her. Lord, we are those who are now called to do as you have done. To extravagantly give worth and value to each other. To give up what is precious to us because others are more precious to us. To do that which the world cannot do. To sacrifice what is dear to us for what is even more dear for us. Lord, let this be a new day, a new community in our midst. Um, that, I even call forth anything that's hiding in our midst. The hiding anger. The hiding prejudice. The hiding uh, discrimination. We come against it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and say you cannot hide here. You can't multiply and you cannot sleep. You must come out as one evil spirit and go to the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. We will be characterized by love because we have been loved in such a precious and perfect way. And we lay down power. Uh, the Lord Jesus gives us authority, but he doesn't give us control. And so, Lord, we renounce where we have, we have lusted for control. We have lusted for power, power over others, power over our circumstances. And in that, we have, we have allowed fear of foothold. We lose that now. Lord, only you know the future. And you have, you have said clearly in your word that you hold our future. I, I, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. You are our safety. You are our security. Not the government, not systems, not programs. You are our security. We, as one church, as one small body of the bigger body of Christ, we declare our dependence on the Lord Jesus and Him alone. But we want to see in this generation the kingdom of heaven manifest on earth. Let that which is true of heaven be true here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please be seated. If you'll take your, uh, your worship bulletin, your folder there, uh, the scripture that we've been studying is uh, on the front. We're going to read it out loud together. Uh, today and, and next week will be our, our last two uh, times in the Sermon on the Mount for a while. And so uh, today we're going to read the end of Jesus' teaching. And then we'll go back next week and look at some of the things we, uh, we want to cover. But this is sort of the, the summation of Jesus' sermon. So let's read this out loud together. Uh, this is the Word of God. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, 
nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Still not working for me, Pedro. Sorry, should have checked on that. There we go. All right. Now, the, the thing I want you to focus on as we look towards the end of this teaching of the Sermon on the Mount is the reaction of the crowd. The reaction of the crowd, it says, they were astonished. And the literal word in Greek means they were shocked or they were thunderstruck. Now, the other thing about this that is interesting is... And I know, you know, grammar is not exciting on Sunday morning, but sometimes it is. Uh, the, the verb tense here is the idea that they were continually, that, that every time they spoke about what he had said, every time they thought about what he said, they got more astonished. They got, they, they got more thunderstruck. They were, they were more shocked by what he said. Now, here's the problem. Most of us have either heard bits and pieces of the Sermon on the Mount for so long that it is so familiar to us that we are no longer astonished by it. The problem is, friends, either one, you've been taught wrong about the Sermon on the Mount, or two, you're not really listening. Because if you were really listening and you were really getting it, you would be astonished by it. Now, today I'm going, to, I'm going to share with you out of this section three of the astonishing things. Now, there are more than three, but I grew up Presbyterian and we always talk in threes. All right, so it's the easiest way to preach. All right, so the first astonishing thing goes back to this, his teaching about, first he says there are two paths, one is narrow, one is broad, one leads to destruction, one leads to life. And he says there are two trees and both of these trees, they have fruit. One has good fruit, one has bad fruit. And then he says there's two houses. One house withstands the storm, the other does not. But he says there are two. Now, here's the thing that's astonishing about that. Is he is clearly saying that in both these cases, these two look so amazingly similar that you could be deceived by them. Because if you take, for example, if, if it is clear that this is the road that leads to nowhere, you would never take it. 
It is only because it looks like it goes somewhere you want to go that you're willing to take the road. It is only because the tree that is producing the fruit looks like the fruit is good fruit that you're willing to eat the fruit. And it is only because you think that the house will sustain you that you build or buy the house. See, if the road is clearly bad, you don't take it. There's no choice there. You go, this is the good road, this is the bad road. It's when they both look good that it's difficult. It is, it's not the tree. When you look at a tree, there's some trees in my yard, and you look at them, you go, there's no leaves. There's no life. You don't sit there going, that's a great tree. You go, that's a dead tree. It's easy to see. But if the tree is producing something that looks like good fruit. <laughs> My first church was, was uh, in the country. And uh, the deacon of the church had 800 peach trees. And this is about the time he would bring me a basket of them in July because uh, they're just now getting really ripe. But he, would ta he taught me a little bit about the peaches and he said, he said, the only thing the supermarket wanted were peaches that looked a certain way and that they were harvested long before they ever ripened. All they cared about was how the peaches looked in the presentation. So what he would bring me were, were tree-ripened peaches. Some of them looked goofy, misshapen. Sometimes they, you know, they, they were small. Sometimes they were large. They were all, all kinds of things. But they were the most delicious peaches you ever had in your life. And Lisa would turn them into peach ice cream, which was also, which I would churn on the porch there, you know. Are you getting hungry right now? Yeah. So then when you get a peach, even though it's beautiful and it's the right shape and you bite into it, you go, I just got taken. This thing is horrible. Has no taste, hardly any smell, but looks perfect. This is sort of the idea here, except he takes it another step and he says, when you bite into it, it's a little bit like Snow White's stepmother's apple. It has poison in it. Because the idea is, when Jesus says it's bad fruit, it's not that it's ugly fruit. It's not that it is, uh, you know, it's not appealing to the eye. He says, it's poisonous. It's death to you. And, and he, he begins to describe this. This whole thing is, is really the, his basic view of spirituality. And, and, and what so many of us have done and what we've wrongly done is we think Jesus is talking about good people and bad people. And of course we want to be the good people. So we try to figure out, okay, what do I need to present in order that I can be called a good person? What characteristics, what template do I need to fit into so that I can consider myself good? And of course, you know, you grow up in different cultures or different parts of the country, different aspects of life, and, and what's good in one place is different in another place. It always cracked me up going to, to Africa to, to do uh, conferences and training. They always tell their people, we're going to start at 9 o'clock. 9 o'clock. So, 
being the Anglos that we are, we're up, we're dressed, we're at 9 o'clock. Uh, about 11.30 comes along, get a phone call saying, we're almost ready. We're almost ready. 1.30 comes along, all of a sudden they're like, we're late. And we race to the place. And I asked them, I asked my host, I said, tell me, tell me about that process we just went through. Because uh, I got sweaty and, you know, waiting for this to happen and stuff like that. And, and uh, they looked at me with so much tenderness and so much love for me. And they said, there weren't enough people there until now to do you honor. I went, okay, I'll wait. <laughs> right? Do you understand? It was a completely different view of what was important in that time. It was totally based on a value. But the value wasn't time. The value was respect. The value was relationship. The value was honor. And so what happened to many of us is we began to say, you're a good person because you're on time. You're a bad person because you're not on time. Of course, in New York, no one's on time. You know, I mean, you begin to see certain things and you begin to place them on people and say, you're good or you're bad. And what Jesus is saying here is we're all bad. That's what he's saying. We're all bankrupt. Yeah, you can put on sophisticated clothes. You can get your watch and actually pay attention to it. You could, you could do all of these things and you still wouldn't be good. You'd still be bad fruit. You'd still be a house in the sand. You'd still be a path that leads to nowhere. Why is that? Well, look at what he, he gives two examples here of, of what he calls bad trees. One is a false prophet. And when he's saying false prophet, he's talking about teachers. He's talking about leaders of the people. But he's also saying that these who are false prophets are also sheep themselves. And so he says, you know, on that day. And when he says on that day, he's talking about judgment day. You buy into common thinking that it doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter how you behave. What they're saying is there's no such thing as judgment day. And what Jesus, Jesus, the son of God, Jesus, the savior is saying is there is a judgment day and there will be on that day a reckoning. So it does matter what you believe. And it does matter. And the one you better line up to, Jesus is saying, is you better line up to my thinking, to his thinking. So he says on that day, and they'll come to him and they'll say to him, did we not prophesy in your name? Now notice some things about how they speak to him and how Jesus describes him. Number one, every one of these people who are coming to him that he's calling false prophets, that he's calling false Every one of them calls him Lord. So Lord, it indicates that they have an orthodox doctrine. That these aren't heretics. That these aren't rebellious ones. But they're still wrong. But they're, they, they're right in their theology. They're orthodox. Secondly, notice they don't just say Lord. They say Lord, Lord. Which in the Bible, when you double something, it means you have intensity of emotion. You have engagement. You're not, you're not 
in some way uh, just apathetic. You are passionate when you say, Lord, Lord. And thirdly, he says, they, they, they come to him and they say, we prophesied in your name. So they are vitally involved in ministry. They are involved deeply in people's lives. And yet, when they make those statements, Jesus' answer to them, because they are false prophets, because they are trees with bad fruit. Now, everything so far looks good. But because they are the bad trees with bad fruit, because they are false ways, he says to them, I never knew you. See, they're convinced they have a spiritual connection. He is convinced that they don't. Now, the only one's opinion who matters is Jesus's. Now, this is important that we get this because he's not speaking this about people who are irreligious and outside of the church. He's talking to people who are right inside. They call him Lord. They're passionate, Lord, Lord. And they're involved. They prophesied in his name. And he says, I have no connection to you. Now, why would he say such a thing? And it is one of the hard sayings of Jesus, but the truth is it's pretty simple to understand. He has, he has no qualms whatsoever with their outward pr presentation. The problem is their motivation for what they do. He is the one who has explained that a religious motivation in verse 2 of chapter 6 of Matthew is the motivation is to get honor or to get glory from men. I have done what I have done so that you will recognize me, so that you will value me, so you will say I have worth, I have value. In some ways, he uses this word in other places where he's, he uses a Greek word that literally means blackmail. And he says that, that these false prophets are ones who blackmail the people. They extort from the people. Now, what are they extorting? Well, they're extorting glory. They're extorting weight. They're extorting importance. Now, it could be, yeah, it could be that they're taking your money. But that's not really the biggest issue. The biggest issue is they are empty spiritually. They are empty emotionally. And they are siphoning whatever you have to make them feel important. That's what Jesus is talking about here. See, every single one of us is made with this internal need, whether you know it or not, but it is a need of significance. And when you use religion or you use God or you use anything to get your importance, you will have to steal and siphon from other people what you do not have yourself. The problem is that no one has it. So we are actually siphoning gas from empty tanks and wondering why there's no gas. Now what Jesus is doing here is he's basically destroying accomplishment and performance in his kingdom as the basis for your worth and your acceptance. If, if you listen carefully, and we'll keep talking about this, they are demanding a place. Lord, Lord, did we not? Do you not understand? We deserve to be here. We are worthy of being here. We're the good ones. How can you... Not acknowledge us. Anybody ever pray that way? I want to ask for a show of hands. 
but I guarantee you, if you're honest, you said, how can this happen to me? I'm one of the few people that are nice around here. I'm one of the few people who actually pray around here. Do you see how those people act at Marshall's when I'm there, you know? And, 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 and at the mall? Come on, smite them. Bless me. Come on. Don't tell me you don't think that sometimes. You're looking for glory. Looking for honor. Matter of fact, Jesus says, woe unto us, because what we look for is power. We look for success. We look for comfort. We look for recognition, and we think if we get them, we will have glory. We will have weight. And he says, woe unto you. Woe unto you. That's false. It's blackmail. See, if everything that's going on in my life is just so I will be important, just so I will be honored, so that I will be recognized, don't you see how important I am? Don't you hear how important the words I say are? When I'm doing that, I'm blackmailing you. I'm the star of my life. You're just here to make me look good. And when you don't, I cut you out. That's what he's talking about here. And if you're honest, you'll realize you've done that. It's hard not to do that when you, when you think, I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not pretty enough. Whatever it is, I don't have enough money. And there's an inner rottenness that produces bitter fruit of which even your family and your friends have to taste and eat. Now, this is one of his main teachings, is that a good tree will always bear good fruit. It's The fruit is not the life of the tree. The fruit reveals the life of the tree. You can't just, in a sense, what Jesus is saying, you can't move from outside in. It always has to be inside out. As a matter of fact, if, if, if you understand what Jesus is saying clearly, what you'll see is when you act from the outside in, whatever you get in the rewards of other people's approval or acceptance or whatever it is, that's the only reward you'll ever have. For example, it's often much better if you're dishonest about your, your anger so that you don't lose it with people. But the only reward you have is that you didn't lose it. And that you refrain from it and you restrain. That's its reward. There is no other reward because you are genuinely still angry. See, in Christ... In the gospel, you are so radically changed from the inside out that what is produced even in circumstances that would make you angry, what is produced is supernatural, not natural. The fruit of the Spirit is not control of others. It's self-control. That's the fruit you're looking for. It's not restraint. It's not faking it till you make it. It's where something real comes out of you. And people get to eat of the blessed fruit, of the tasty fruit, of the Spirit of God manifesting from your inside out. That's what Jesus is talking about here. The fruit of the tree doesn't give life 
to the tree. The tree gives life to the fruit. So the fruit tells you. And, you know, some of you are in image management. You're incredibly angry. You're terribly fearful. You're anxious. But out of your religion, you restrain it. That's your only reward, that restraint. Because the inside is not changed. The inside is still corrupt. The inside is still producing bitter fruit. And here is the thing. I mean, if you're, again, if you deal with things pretty honestly, is you can't contain it 24-7. Eventually it blows. And usually it blows over something stupid, which then makes you look stupid. Because you've not changed from the inside out, you're just managing from the outside in. And if you were to go to Jesus and say, but look how I manage my anger. And he'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. Because you don't have a connection with me. See, if you spend your whole life, and, and, and I hear people doing this so stupidly sometimes. I'm just not a patient person. Great, you have bad fruit. Which indicates you're a bad tree. Possibly you're more patient than you think and you're just listening to the accuser who has identified you as impatient and you've accepted it. Because instead of living supernaturally, you're living naturally. Instead of living from the inside out, you're living from the outside in. The beauty of this teaching of Jesus is this. It excludes religious people, yes. But it includes every broken person. I mean, if you're willing to admit you're bankrupt, that you're broken, that you're angry, you're hurt, you're, you're desperate, you're lonely, if you're willing to admit that, then Jesus is for you. But if you think you're a good person, you don't need to be here. Go play golf. Go to the flea market. I'm sure there's a farmer's market somewhere going on right now. Because if you're a good person, you're among bad people here. You're the only one. But, on the other hand, you might be lying. And you might be a false prophet. And what Jesus says is churches are filled with people who look like sheep, but they're actually wolves. Now, what do I do about this? What, about, what do I do about the fact that I don't have much fruit coming out of my tree? You know, I don't have much patience. I don't have much of this or that. Well, this is a faith step, friends. You have to change in the way you think before you change in the way you live. And the first thing is this. You want and need glory. You want it. You need it. You want to be important. You want to be safe. You want to feel accepted. You want to feel like there's something meaningful about you. But here's where you get it. Here's the path. Here's the tree. Here's the house. In John chapter 17, verse 22, Jesus is praying to his father. It's called the high priestly prayer of Jesus. He's praying. He's laying out so many wonderful revelations in this. But here's what he says in verse 22. He says, the glory you have given me, I have given them. The glory you have given me, I have given them. Look, you want glory? This is the glory you want. Because it's not based on your record. It's not based on your accomplishments. It's not based on your performance. It's based on the finished work of Jesus. Every honor that the Father has for Jesus, every glory, all the weight of glory, glory literally means weight. When 
when in the 60s, 60s, they used to say, that's heavy, man. They're talking about glory. It's heavy. And so the idea of the idea of everything that Jesus has earned, everything he has accomplished is now yours. It's a faith issue. In other words, it is these guys who are saying, did we not? They're going to they're going to Jesus and saying, look at my resume. Aren't I qualified? They're saying, look at my transcripts. Look where I went to school. Look what I did. And Jesus says, I don't know you. But any one of you who tears up your transcript, you tear up your resume and you say, this is crap. And you say, I want that glory. I want that weight. Guess what happens? That becomes the foundation of your entire life. You see, it doesn't, it doesn't matter if you don't think you're pretty enough. You have His glory. It doesn't matter if you think you're not smart enough. You have His glory. So then Jesus says, that's the wise man who builds his house on a rock because the rock is his glory. You see, there isn't a wind that has enough weight to blow away the glory house. But there is only need a little bit of a storm. If you built your house on your own glory, on your own way, or even the weight of your parents or the weight of your church or the weight of somebody who came before you. But if the glory of your house is the foundation on Jesus's honor and weight and glory, then I don't care what kind of storm comes. See, if he's your treasure, your treasure is never taken away, even if everything else is taken away. And if you, you know, I tell you what the truth is, is people who build their house on a sand are hoping a storm never comes. That's stupid. Because they always come. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how well you prepare. There are storms that are greater than you're prepared for. And when they come, the weight of your life has to be something more than what you have been able to accomplish on your own. It has to be the glory that the Father gave to Jesus he has now given to you. This is what we can trust in. Now, there's, there's two things more on the astonishment. I only have a few minutes on each of them. First one is this. This is what they were truly astonished about. They knew about Judgment Day. They knew that a day was coming. They were going to have to stand before God. They understood this. They, they were not denying this reality. They knew that Jesus, when he spoke, he was putting himself at the center of that day. He was saying he's the judge. They knew he was claiming to be the judge. And, and they knew only God is able to judge because only God has infinite goodness and infinite knowledge. And so what they're recognizing is Jesus is saying on the judgment day, I'm going to be at the center of all of it. And all of them are going to come to me and say, did we not? And see, the whole, the whole of that question sometimes gets mixed up because we're sitting there going, well, they prophesied that had to be the Holy Spirit. And, uh, you know, they cast out demons that had to be the Holy Spirit. That's not the issue, friends. God is good even if you're bad. God does miracles through Judas's. Judas cast out demons. Judas prophesied. Okay, and he portrayed our Lord. So the Spirit of God can work through donkeys. I mean, he doesn't, he, he doesn't need you to be righteous for him to work. The issue here is, on the, is the basis on which they're saying, we demand. They're not saying, we don't deserve. 
They're saying, we do deserve. And so Jesus says, well, if, here, if you want what you deserve, I'm going to give you what you deserve. And what you deserve is to depart from me, you workers of iniquity. It's important that you get that. Because if you think you're going to have a resume to hand in or a transcript that's going to get you by, it's not. It's not. There's, there's only one certainty for coming into eternity with God, and that's Jesus himself and his record. There's no other record that suffices. There's no other record. And you could say, but I compare favorably to other people. So what? It doesn't matter. The only record that counts. Now, his, his last thing that amazed me is this. When Jesus speaks punishment to someone, I always thought he would say something like, you know, you're going to be in hellfire forever. You're going to burn forever. As a matter of fact, Certain places all over the country, they love to have this thing that says turn or burn kind of thing. All this. But that's not what Jesus says. Do you know what he says? Depart from me. So the worst nightmare, the worst nightmare is not hellfire. The worst nightmare is to lose Jesus. So in some ways, if you're apart from Jesus, you're already in hell. You're just in the waiting room. But if you already have Jesus, you're already experiencing heaven. Because it doesn't matter in some ways. I mean, I, I love the imagery of streets of gold and mansions and all of that stuff. And I, I think those are very cool biblical concepts. But I think the heart of heaven is the presence of Jesus. I think that, I think that when I look him in the eye and I see him face to face, he, every loss that I've had, every sacrifice I've made, I'm going to go, it's worth it. It's worth it just to look in your eyes. So he's saying that the worst thing that ever happens to you is him saying, depart from me. I never knew you. Now, I've run out of time. Is this making sense to you? You begin to realize this is astonishing. Every religious person is excluded. Every broken person is invited. It isn't how good you are. It's how good he is. It isn't how needy you are it's how much he has to give to you in some ways especially for those of you who have tried to add up your spiritual life over the course of your years in some some ways what's happened is you've totally forgotten or maybe never known that jesus gave the father's glory to you you don't you don't need other people to tell you you're pretty enough you're smart enough you're strong enough whatever because you have the glory that the father has given to jesus and nobody can take that away from you and then the other thing is this if you're not experiencing intimacy with God in a prayer life with God, something's wrong with the tree. Because the fruit is telling you your treasure is something other than Jesus' presence. Will you stand with me? We have some, um, we have some prayer ministers here today. I, I feel the Lord on this in a powerful way. I, I don't know what you're experiencing totally, but I sense the Lord wants to do business with people this morning. Here's the thing that I would ask of each of you right now. If you, you close your eyes with me. Would you, would you let your heart, the eyes of your heart, see what you've been trying to add up as a resume, a transcript, a record? 
and anything that you've been using for leverage. But God, I do this. God, I never do that. At least I don't do this. At least I'm not like them. Would you tear that up right now? Because if, if you think you're good, and if you think your record is good enough, he's going to say to you, depart from me, I never knew you. But if you come to him empty-handed, no record, no resume, just the reality of your sins and your need, then he will never cast you out. It's so interesting because we get so confused. We want morality. We want people to act right. We want all this stuff, but none of us act right. Our motives to be honored, to be glorified, are to be important. They all are religious motivation that Jesus says is blackmail. I don't want that. I don't want it for you. I don't want it for me. I come to him empty, laying at the cross all of my sins, and I receive from him his completeness. I was so sinful, he had to die for me, but I am so loved, he chose to die for me. And when I go before him, I'm not going to say, did I not prophesy? Oh God, didn't I sacrifice? Didn't I suffer? I'm going to look at him and say, you're the one. You're my treasure. You're the one I want. And I'll look in his eyes and I'll see I'm the one he wants to. Would you receive Jesus in a fresh way today? Lay it down. No more leverage, no more blackmail. No more anger at prayer because it doesn't work. If you get Jesus, prayer works. Because you have heaven. Lord, will you seal what you're doing here? Will you show us how to go deeper with you in this? In Jesus' name, amen. Would you come and pray with those? There are those here, they want to pray with you. They love spending some time at the altar with you. God bless you. We'll see you next week.